Welcome everyone in this new episode of Let's Talk AI. I'm super happy to be with Christoph Blefari today. Christoph, how are you doing? I'm doing good. So happy to be here and to chat with you. Likewise. So quick remember to anyone who is tuning in and, and is new to the podcast, we're uh, diving, diving deeper um, into many subjects related to AI and uh, data. Um, so today we're with Christoph. Christoph, maybe can you introduce yourself for the people who might not know you yet? Okay, so I'm Christophe. I'm a French data engineer. I've been working in the data industry for the last uh, 10 years. Um, I've always seen myself as a software engineer first, but it happens that as a software engineer, I do stuff with data and I develop data software, data platform, data everything, you know, data X, I would say. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's uh, what I do like professionally. And I also do content creation on the side uh, and I'm a freelancer for the last uh, four years. And yeah, I live between Paris and Berlin. And yeah, that's who am I. Awesome. All right, let's um, deep dive into who you are and your journey. Um, okay, first question is, um, what are you doing today? Like, what's your state of the art, uh, uh, the state of the art of uh, Christophe Blefari? Um, what are you actually working on and, and what is your mission, let's say, uh, if you have a kind of a, a mission that is uh, guiding you on, on what you're doing daily? Yeah, okay. So regarding the state of the art, actually, this is this is fun because uh, the data like ecosystem is... We say it's evolving quickly and stuff like this. But to be honest, uh, I don't feel I changed a lot since I started. <laughs> uh, so I, I created it in 2014. And at that time, I started to learn Python, maybe 2010, something like this. Um, and since uh, I started working with Python, I never quit Python. And like now it's almost 15 years I'm working with Python and developing software with Python. Uh, so for everything I do, like I do Python, like this is my state of the art. And then after, you, on top of this, you add new libraries, new framework, new patterns, new way to do stuff. But actually everything, every code I write is like, I tried to, to write it in Python. It happens like in the past, I, I wrote some Java code, Scala code and stuff like this, but mainly it's Python. And then um, at the moment, like, I do stuff in the cloud, uh, but sometimes I do in premise. But what I do, what I do in the cloud, it's mainly GCP because I'm more comfortable with. But yeah, actually, I don't care like the cloud. Uh, mainly, what I care about is like having a warehouse, having a database in which I can put stuff, put the transformation, put the data there, and, and do stuff with it. So yeah, my state of the art is like this: like having Python to orchestrate your code and write, write code, and then having a warehouse at the middle doing stuff in the middle, creating data platform with warehouse at the middle to to serve data use cases for people. And yeah, it depends on the data use cases. And so mm -hmm. when it comes to data use cases, it's like the missions. And right now as a freelancer, what I do is like a very broad spectrum of like missions, but mainly um, it's like building data platform for others, helping people building data platform. So either like, uh, by uh, migrating from one tool to another, uh, either by uh, going from scratch and developing everything, or either by just adding like one piece of the data platform because people already have something. Depends. Mm. Awesome. And what do you uh, 
what do you enjoy the most uh, in the recent years and in your on your freelance journey in terms of the projects uh, and, and and the missions you've been working on? What's yeah. your go-to? So so this is fun because um, so I, I've started I would say like my professional life like ten years ago and for for the last ten years what what I did mainly and what like brought me money and food was doing data engineering stuff because I am a data engineer first. What what I like to do like most of the time is like moving data from A to B, I would say, sometimes with transformation, sometimes without. If I caricature if like if I do like a caricature, it's like what data engineer does. But this is cool, but what I enjoy the most is when I do front-end, actually. <laughs> because uh, I, I started like uh, software engineering uh, many years before. And I started with like uh, web development, uh, like with Dreamweaver, then after without Dreamweaver, like on HTML, CSS, and stuff like this, like with CSS art and stuff like this. And each time I, I go back to this, is like... Yes, I feel nostalgic and I like it so much that every year I, I try to have like one personal project where I do content and stuff like this. Um, so yeah, that that's what I enjoy the most, like doing front-end development. But I would say that if I do it like every day, I think I will not enjoy it like uh, friendly. <laughs> so yeah, it's a balance mm-hmm. to find. Yeah, I'm making a quick uh, transition because I, I really enjoy your website. I feel like it's super... I don't know the design. It's super smooth, the buttons and so on. So, how like how did you build your website, or did you build it yourself? I can't imagine so. But um, what did you use to build it? You you mean like Bluff.ifer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So actually, it's like a sim that I bought like uh, on my got on my blog. Uh, the the blog I use. So I I use Ghost as a blog, which is like an open source technology mm-hmm. uh, to create websites. And I, I bought like a, a sim like three years ago, something like this. I, I bought it like for 15 bucks, something like this. And not 15, maybe 50. Um, and um, I changed some stuff, to be honest, uh, like just to adapt it like to code and stuff like this, because it was more lifestyle, lifestyle uh, <laughs> sim at the, at the beginning. Uh, but yeah, but to be honest, I, I should change it because yeah, it's too raw. It's just like I put it there. I'm happy with how it is. But I think for some people, it's it might be hard to find some stuff in the website because it's just like a blog. And mm-hmm. people are not used to blog today. Like they're used to like social networks and stuff like this. We've sorted about networks and stuff like this. <laughs> All right. So you're going to work on that. Awesome. Uh, that was just a, a quick transition. Okay. Uh, so coming back to your journey, we know what you're doing right now. Um uh, we'll go. We'll come back to the freelance part. Uh, how did you go about freelancing? How did you start and so on? But um, for everyone who's listening, I think it would be super interesting if you could uh, take us on a retrospective on your career since um, when you finished studies to like the key moments that um, where you like took decisions and and went on a specific track to uh, today. So can you share that with us? Yes, absolutely. So. Um, so I, I graduated and so in, in, in France, like the, the studies are like structured, like maybe a different way than in, in US and stuff like this. But mm-hmm. so I, I did a prep school, which is like, uh, when you are in France, something big, uh, when you do like scientific, uh, studies, 
Uh, I did my two years there, and then I went for three years in a, a computer science uh, school, uh, a public one, an engineering school. Uh, and then I graduated from there. But well, there, there is something just to understand that um, what brought me to, like to my, I would say, uh, computer-loving love story um, is uh, when I was a kid at six, uh, my father gifted me a computer. Um, so it was in 1998. <laughs> uh, and so at that time, it gifted me like a computer. So I had a computer in my uh, bedroom. Uh, on which I could do everything I wanted. At that time, it was just like installing uh, uh, Windows uh, 98, but <laughs> uh, and opening Paint uh, to do like uh, shitty, uh, shitty, <laughs> shitty drawings. But um, that's uh, my where my journey with computer started. And then I, I did like computer as a passion, like to work, to play video games and stuff like this. And when I graduated like my prep school. Um, I had the change like to go in a computer science school. So yeah, I, I went there just by default because like it was like, okay, why not? And then I grad graduated the, the, the engineering school and I started like an internship for six months in the, in the company. And the goal of the internship was, and this is something that I brought Many years after, each time I hired like an intern, it's uh, when you have an intern, uh, giving a goal or, or a side project for the intern with a goal and a specific goal, I think it's like super good to keep the intern uh, motivated, to give you like vision and stuff like this. So yeah, uh, so I had a project and the project was to build a custom solution to develop uh, dashboarding within Django. So okay. it was like uh, with a back office, you could like uh, parameterize dashboards and say, uh, I want a row with three dashboards. In this dashboard, I want uh, this KPI, this KPI, this KPI. It's a big number. It's a line chart. It's a bar chart and stuff like this. So it was like my, my internship project uh, for the company. Um, and so, yeah, I did it with Django. I did a lot of D3GS. Uh, I developed like uh, cool visualization with D3 uh, that I was proud about. Like one with, um, it was a heat map uh, with uh, Uber that was uh, super cool. Like to see a marketing performance for like uh, Nissan um, because Nissan was a, one of the client, uh, clients of the company. And I did like a D3 uh, a presentation at a D3 meetup and yeah, uh, it was super cool. So that was my internship. And then uh, the company hired me like, and I stayed for three years there. It was mainly uh, data missions. It was a consultancy firm and it was like a data missions uh, for marketing department of different companies. And that's where I started to work with Hadoop. I think I did my first like Hadoop installation in end of 2014 when like Hadoop was uh, starting to pick up in France slash Europe. Uh, yeah, it was like a bit hard at the beginning because yeah, you arrive at the client and you have to install Hadoop and you don't know, you, you actually, you know nothing about Hadoop and you, you are trying like to install it. Uh, the talk were awful. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it was fun. 
So I did a lot of stuff like with Hadoop, like that Hadoop project, a bit of data science project. And then I left the company for another company uh, called Auchan Direct, which was, I would say, a startup within Auchan. And Auchan is like a big retailer in France, one of the, one of the biggest. Um, and Auchan Direct was the at-home delivery of Auchan uh, in the main French city, like in Paris, Marseille, Lyon. You could have like uh, food delivered by your uh, doorstep. Uh, it was in 2018, something like this. Um, so before all the, uh, the the new boom of like the the delivery uh, food app and stuff like this. There, I, I was um, managing like the data engineering part, um, and I had like a Hadoop cluster on premise in the in in a room uh, just like uh, 100 meters away. <laughs> It was like a cool experience, like to manage uh, Hadoop cluster, like a physical Hadoop cluster, and to do like server stuff. Um, but yeah, I will not do it again. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, we got all fired, uh, and then I went to another company. Um, yeah, yeah. I, each time I, I said like uh, with distance because yeah, it, it, I got used to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we got fired because like Auchan wanted like to simplified the 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 workforce i would say and they wanted like to remove the paris offices uh and so yeah we we decided not to follow uh in the north of france so we all uh, left (laughs) okay (laughs) makes sense yeah and and then uh i started like in a startup uh called uh captain no it was chauffeur privé first and then captain which is like a which was actually a PhD company, so a Uber uh, competitor in France, Uber, Bolt, or stuff like, or companies like this. So uh, you you can through an app uh, order a, a, a PhD and yeah, you know PhD uh, business. Um, and so I stayed there for two years. Uh, I managed the data engineering team. At the peak, we were six in the data engineering uh, um, team. And in the data team, we were almost 30, I would say, something like this. Uh, and I, I would say it was like my most um, complete experience like in the company in terms of management, uh, going uh, uh, until the end of the things, like building stuff uh, for, uh, for a reason and stuff like this. But yeah, history repeats. Uh, the company got acquired and we all got fired <laughs> oh <my God>. again. <laughs> uh, and this time, like it was like almost 120 or 50 people that got fired from Paris because like the company was acquired by Freenow, which is like a German company. And when COVID like was at the peak, uh, they decided to cut uh, costs. Um, yeah, because PHV has been like hugely impacted by this. Um, and don't, yeah, as, so I, I, I was, um, data engineering manager at this time. Uh, I stayed for two years, uh, almost maybe three. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. And then, um, I went freelance, like uh, at the peak of COVID, I decided to leave the company and, and go freelance. Uh, some people were like, what are you doing? Uh, it's COVID. You knew <laughs> never going to find like, a mission and stuff but yeah i was naive and i wanted to leave the company so it was no way i, I would stay uh, in the company mm, 
so yeah, that's when it started. So it was like 2020, something like this. So now it's almost four years. Uh, and yeah, I can go deeper in my feelings journey after, but yeah, that uh, was like the long way to tell my story, like professional story. <laughs> that's awesome. That's super interesting. There are many parts to um, to unpack here. Um, I like that you talk about um, the firing process uh, uh, like this, because in the end, this happens all the time, <laughs> except like and when we're in very competitive um, companies, like when we're competing with, like I'm thinking Airbnb, Ubers, and like these kind of industries where it is um, very interesting from a technological point of view. But this is also a, a, a thing in tech, which is, there only be one uh, in the end, like the best one will uh, will keep everything kind of, and uh, yeah. and um, so it's interesting and um, and uh, we'll be able to to come back on this. Yeah, uh, but there, really... there, there's just something to say that uh, I have like a, we are privileged because we are like in the tech industry. Uh, I'm white. Uh, I have like a French name, and so uh, being fired like. Is not, and I, I was young, I'm still young, but at that time I, I was super young and I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, I will find a job like uh, in a wink, uh, if I, I would say. Um, mm. So yeah, I, that also, yeah, explain why I have like this distance with this. But mm. for some people, it's totally different. Like I'm very privileged on, the, on this topic at all. Yeah, makes sense. It's good to, to mention it. Um, all right. I'm going to target a direct data engineer question. Then we'll yeah. come back to the freelance. But um, do you have one project in mind that you're really proud of? You're like, wow, that was impressive. And I'm grateful for this experience. And this is something that, well, speaking of finding a job or finding contractors on your freelance journey, that when you mention it, it's a wow effect. Like, Do you have an experience to share with us that comes in mind and maybe if you could take us through the steps of thinking process and implementation, maybe it is leading teams, it can be anything. Do you have something yeah. like that? So I would say I, I have two uh, two things. Uh, the, the second one, we can talk about it later because it's more recent and it's like uh, one of the missions I, I did as a freelance. But the, the, the first one, I would say, is like my uh, captain experience, like in a wall, I would say, which was uh, very um, successful to me, I would say. Like, um, I really enjoyed it. And when I arrived at captain, uh, if I just uh, explain like the context at the, at the moment I arrived, the data team was already quite big. I think, I think maybe 10 people, something like this, around 10 people. But um, there were no proper data engineer or data engineering practice, I would say, because there there was like a data engineer, but he, he was not data engineer by uh, by education, I would say, but more like a, a software engineer that uh, was able to do data stuff. And when I arrived, um, all the data transformation were in SQL, in Postgres, and the Postgres was exploding. Like the, the joke at the time was, uh, so it was in 2018, something like this. The joke from the data analyst was, uh, okay, uh, I will run the SQL uh, query and I will take a coffee, or maybe I will go to lunch, or maybe I will <laughs> go from groceries because like my query will uh, last for two hours or something like this. <laughs> um, 
And so that was the, the, the context. So it was like a warehouse in Postgres that was not scaling well. And my goal was uh, to fix this. Um, and so I arrived and we decided to go with BigQuery and we redevelop like all the ELT uh, and everything. And to do this, what I did is like, at that time, the modern data stack was not a thing and it was a bit different, like the, 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 the field was a bit different. So what I did is like, I just wrote to other data engineers in Paris, like in startup in the same scale of startups, like maybe three or five people and just had a chat with them uh, to get inspiration. And it helped me a lot, like just to uh, have a direction, to see uh, uh, shortcuts as well mm -hmm. uh, and mistakes I did and to avoid them. And then uh, we worked with the other data engineer that was already here and one we hired, which uh, who was like my previous intern. Uh, I, I, with three people, we worked on this for two, three months. And we actually rebuilt uh, one big pipeline um, in the new stack with BigQuery, with Airflow and stuff like this. So we did it very fast um, and uh, with a lot of gains for the analysts. So that was like the beginning and this was already a huge success. And then everything that went after, like the way we built the team, the way we, we built the platform, my, my vision as a data engineer was always in, when you are a data engineer, you have to build tools and platform for others. It's not your responsibility like to write the transformation. It's not your responsibility to write even the extract load. It's not your responsibility like to, to, to be the broker and to extract the data from the production database. If you can give the tools like to other people to do it by themselves, it's better. So that's why we tried to implement and we did it like in a good way for all the analytics use cases. We had issues on the data science use cases, and I would say that we did not succeed at actually. But on the analytics part, on the reporting part um, for the data analyst, it was a huge success. And the marker that um, can, yeah, test, yeah, there is a testimonial about this is like, because we got all fired, <laughs> Every people on the, in the data team went to other data companies, or not data companies, but in other startups or companies or in data teams. And yeah, I keep like the keep in touch with them, and I've worked again with uh, a few of them. So I think that means that they they like the the stuff I, I built and the, the the way I was thinking. Awesome! Wow, that's amazing. That's an amazing experience to just. Like you, you go and you see it, right? So this is why. And so it was on prem. No, no, it was on GCP. It was like. Uh, on, so I, on, I mean, before you you oh, migrate everything on GCP. I, I think it, it was not on prem. It was like just a, a yeah. EC2 somewhere uh, with like a Postgres on top. Okay, 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 awesome. Uh, there are two things I want to to go back to. I want to make a comparison between like how it failed to work uh, and installing Hadoop clusters on-prem, like seeing things. I feel like that's the best way to understand concepts, uh, just like as basic as memory, but like when you see the physical thing, when you go to the cloud, then you know what's going on. And you know that it's not just a magic box. Like you know that in some part of the world, there are copies yeah. of what you have. And and if the, if the machine like uh, is 
not performing well, you know how physically it is happening in the machine. Um, so, so maybe starting with this, how was it to... Well, I just want to add one more comment. I feel that's super interesting and we take it for granted today. How you find the solutions to the architecture that you built? Because back in the day, this is like we you didn't have. Uh, I mean, not talking that like it's not like forty years ago neither. But uh, there wasn't as many resources, and the cloud providers weren't as documented, and it wasn't as clear as of um, the best practices and the solutions and the fact that. You reached out to your peers in similar companies just to grab those best practices. This is something that we have today just doing a search on the internet. So can you comment maybe on like the on-prem versus uh, cloud providers? Um, how did you fail during the transition? And also how acquiring knowledge and sharing your work with others have helped you? Okay, so... From the on-prem to cloud, um, so th there is one thing. So I think I've changed in the last year or two years, but um, before this, I, I, I was still advising to people that were going into the data engineering journey to do some Hadoop to understand uh, what it means to be a data engineer and stuff like this. Yeah. Um, the reason was because um, a lot of the stuff we were doing as data engineer was in the distributed world, I would say. And mm. uh, if you want to understand like better, like the distributed concept, uh, like Hadoop is like a good uh, platform for this uh, because natively, like everything you do in Hadoop, like has to be distributed, has to be so distributed and stuff like this. But mm. I think recently I, I stopped even mentioning Hadoop in every recommendation I do because right. um, it doesn't make sense anymore. Okay. Because at, at some point we still had like leftovers of HDFS and it was like necessary to understand the HDFS. But now like S3 has become the king. And when I say S3, it can be like Google's cloud storage and stuff like this. But mm. I would say like the S3 protocol and the and having like files as blob like in uh, in 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 cloud storages uh, has become like the de facto so you don't even care about hdfs now so yeah, quick question that, that's the well, first thing about yeah sorry quick question when we say hdfs are we talking about like uh, hdfs and then yar and then hive and spark or something like similar to this pieces or yes. oh, okay or do you, we, like when you to, say to, me, to someone yes please because when you say uh, you have to understand Hadoop concept, it's yep. not you have to understand Hadoop. It's like you have to understand MapReduce, you have to understand HDFS, yeah. and you have to understand, I would say, how Hive is behaving because uh, that's one of the... It depends what, you, what you're doing, but uh, yeah. all the resource allocation and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, but mainly the, the, the stuff from Hadoop that lasted the, the most where HDFS and I would say Hive or like the resource allocation if some people were still using Yarn uh, with Spark or stuff like this. Mm. But Hadoop when it's like Pig or like all the awful languages uh, that came with it, <laughs> yeah. uh, all disappeared like pretty fast. So that's the first thing. Um, when I started like installing Hadoop, um, I, I was, I guess at that time it was like, 
Cloudera, Mapper, and Hortonworks. I guess the first installation I did, I did it with Cloudera, and then mainly it was Hortonworks everywhere, uh, like in France with the client I was working with. Um, so I did a lot of Hortonworks, and at that time, actually it saved me because like if I had to install Hadoop uh, from README on internet uh, from like the the jar, it would have been awful. And having like Hortonworks that was managing all the version and just like in a web UI, the stuff was a relief, mm. even if it was like buggy as hell. Uh, and like, yeah, I, I remember I, I spent like nights and day uh, trying like to fix packaging and stuff when you do like uh, upgrades and stuff like this. It was awful, but yeah. <laughs> Luckily, uh, yeah, it's not anymore. <laughs> but when you go from on-prem to cloud, to yeah. go back on your question, mm -hmm. um, I think it, it doesn't matter anymore that you do Hadoop. What, what matters, I guess, when you are a newcomer is that at some point in your life, if you, if you want to go deeper in your uh, computer science understanding, is that you build a computer by yourself. Uh, it can be a server, but having like just a computer, like an office computer, like with a mother card, uh, putting like the CPU, uh, the GPU, uh, the memory, uh, the hard drive, and stuff like this, like plugging all the all, all, all the stuff uh, together, just to understand like what's inside a, a machine. Um, I think like it's a, a, something like you should do if you want to go deeper in your uh, in your computer science understanding. To to me, <laughs> if I take just my proper experience, I, I built my first computer when I was six or seven. So it's like just uh, something. Uh, printed in my head and like I, I cannot for, forget uh, like the world and like I, I cannot see the world like differently uh, and it's like easy for me like to understand what's in a computer but if you are a newcomer I guess it should be something you, you should do if you want to understand what's a machine and what runs in the cloud uh, just to materialize what's the memory what's the what's the disk uh, yeah. and the CPU and stuff like this right um, and you, you had like another question, which was yeah about the knowledge. So yes. yeah, in 2018, uh, what I did is like reached for peers to have uh, ideas. And the second thing was at that time, uh, Uber, Airbnb, Airbnb um, Lyft, and and companies like this were already like uh, writing blog posts and communicating at conferences and stuff like this. So that's the other part where I got like all my inspiration and ideas because in France like uh, there, there were at that time no not really like a lot of content maybe Octo was one of the companies that was uh, writing a lot of content Octo got acquired by another company I don't remember the name it was a consultant firm and they mm -hmm. had like really good content about Hadoop and all the data data stuff yeah but yeah it was more international and like it was like more the Silicon Valley uh, startups that were like uh, creating like the best written content. Uh, but I went back from this because the, the issue is sometimes that stuff that applies to Uber does not apply to your company. Like, and this is like a drug I have like every time, like when they have like a, an issue at the Uber scale, what they do is like redeveloping an, a new open source solution for this. Like, uh, yeah, if you have, like if you are a small company with uh, five data people in France, 
actually don't don't go this way <laughs> this is not the solution like you you might find something else different that's better yeah. that's super interesting like yeah yeah because it really depends yeah how, how would frame that um so when you have when you're searching for solutions or architectures and so on cost in mind scale in mind uh but I feel like, yeah. Okay, so maybe we'll switch um, to the um, to the content creation part. Uh, I feel it can be very interesting. Um, I also want to ask you about uh, data ops, DevOps, and all those uh, all the ops there is MLOps. Uh, well, MLOps maybe not. But um, all right. Just to focus on the content, um, you yourself write a lot of content, so. Why did you start your journey of sharing um, your knowledge and, and sharing all the contents you're producing today? Um, what put you on that path and what do you get from it? Okay. So once again, it goes back like <laughs> very early in my life. Um, I think when I was a kid and the, the first thing I remember is like when I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, like a math teacher, uh, to be precise. And yeah, life uh, happened. And actually, I'm not a math teacher. And actually, I was good at math, but not really like to go into like, uh, yeah, so deeply that I could have become like a good math teacher. So I went like uh, in IT. But uh, this uh, teacher thing, like, stayed in my head for years and when i started my first like uh, job my boss at the time asked me if i wanted to uh, go for like uh, to, to to go teaching at university in marseille and i say yes actually so it was i think i started in 2015 something like this okay and since then, I never like uh, stop, and I still teaching today. Uh, so I, I teach at Marseille University, I think, for seven years, and I stopped like two years ago. And mm. now I'm teaching at uh, a school in Rennes called Ensai. It's like a statistical school, like one of the, the best in France. Um, and this uh, teaching thing is something that I really enjoy in life, just like having this transmission, uh, trying to uh, e educate or just like uh, go going like the education way and trying to put vulgarization, um, yeah, simplified terms and stuff like this. Uh, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this part. I, I, I feel like fulfilled with this. Like helping people finding the solution by themselves with my help from the outside is something that uh, yeah I enjoy a lot. So that one was one of my first like driver in life uh, when I started doing stuff, and that's why as well why I like coaching, managing teams, and stuff like this. Like helping people becoming better is something that I enjoy. And so when I started like the content creation. Uh, especially like in data engineering, because I, I, I was doing, when I was uh, younger, I was like on forums, I was like on internet, like I had like a blog where I was like uh, writing stuff about my life that no one cared about. 
but uh, yeah, I was doing it. <laughs> but when 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 I started like going freelance, like maybe three years ago, I was like, okay, uh, I have free time now. Uh, I can spend time like uh, creating content because I like uh, I like creating like free content for other people, and I think I, I produce like good quality content, and I like it to be free on internet for people like to learn from it because. There is something that I got from the friends, uh, which is like the education. In France, like education is free. And I, I did all my education like freely. Uh, and I think it's super important to have like free education, like on internet, on the, in the countries and stuff like this. And that's why I started this journey, actually. Hmm, that's awesome. Like giving Lowering. back. Uh-huh. Lowering the barrier of uh, access to knowledge. That's a, a very important mission. Um, love it. Uh, and do you, feel, do you feel sometime when you're teaching that you just become better at what you're doing? Like, let's say you're working on a project and then you go teaching. And while you're teaching, the way you just explain or the way the questions comes at you, it just puts more light onto what you know and maybe it helps you solve a specific problem or it makes you think of um, concepts in a different way. Does that apply or not? I would say yes. Uh, I, I would say in general, yes. But there, there, there is still like something that uh, when, when you teach, every year you repeat the same thing. Because mm. uh, when like a uni takes you as a teacher, Uh, they take you like to give a specific class and they want you like to do it every year because they don't want to change like teacher every year as they don't want like people like to have like to rewrite the courses every year and stuff like that. Mm. So when, when I started teaching, I was teaching like uh, Python, Pandas and Scikit-Learn at uh, Marseille University. And uh, to be honest, like the two first years, it was like, yeah, I, I put like my concept very loud and clear. I'm, I will, and it's threatened me like in, in Pandas and Scikit-learn and stuff like this. But when you do it for seven years, at the, at the end, it's just like repeating yourself and not improving you a lot. Even if like um, you ask like a student question and stuff like this, to be honest, when you, you do it seven years and twice every year because you have two groups, uh, at the end, uh, you have seen all the questions actually. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I would say it depends. Uh, for instance, um, I guess that teaching within a company or teaching like or giving like uh, talks at, at conferences with uh, peers maybe might improve you more than like teaching at university because th there is something difficult at universities that students. Especially right now, I, I don't know how it was in the past, but students ask not a lot of questions. Like, you know, people are either like on Facebook or at the time it was Facebook. Now it's maybe other like social networks, but they listen to you, but not for like seven hours because my courses are very dense. Uh, it's like five or seven hours, like for two or three days in a row. So yeah, obviously they are, they are tired and stuff like this. So um, I, I would say like uh, the quality of question is better when 
people that are already graduated and stuff like this. And they are sure that the stuff you are giving to them will be like uh, useful. Mm. Right. Right. I feel like uh, once you've mastered a course, you just need to record it and put it online for free and, and you don't teach it ever again. <laughs> and yeah, then, and then, then you teach something else. I, I agree. But the issue is that there is something still in physical when you teach like in person mm. that you cannot do online. I've done a lot of like uh, courses uh, on boot camps and stuff on online. Mm -hmm. And there, there is something different when you do it in person. Okay. For instance, when you teach like uh, computer science at French uni, mm -hmm. uh, students are in front of a computer. So when yeah. they have issue, you don't ask for people like to share your, their screen. You can mm -hmm. go behind them. You can take the keyboard. You can take the mouse. You can show them. You can like, uh, everything goes faster actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a wow effect because this is like something new to them. And you're just like, oh, you just do this and that. I remember yeah. when I was uh, in my master, um, uh, master of big data and, and advanced analytics. And um, I had this uh, teacher who was uh, sharing with us. I'm not sure. I think we were doing, I believe, I, I'm not sure, but um, either it was Spark or or it was uh, PySpark and we were doing, uh, I'm not sure exactly what we were doing to be fair, but I just remember <laughs> like me feeling like you're facing this error that it's the first time and you're lost and you're like, oh my God, how, how can I get out of this? And it just arrives, turn a little bit the computer and just start typing super fast. I like, <laughs> I, I didn't knew like you were able to type type that fast on the computer and like all the um, terminal things um, were going so fast. And fun fact, uh, I, I was uh, the only one to have a, a French, uh, French keyboard at the time. So you just arrived and starting typing very fast. And ha then it was like, whoa, what's this keyboard going about? Um, so I relate to that story. Uh, I relate to that and uh, I'm grateful uh, for him and yourself to uh, take the time to... Um, to like go and do these uh, obvious things maybe for you. But uh, at that point, it can really make the difference in terms of this person feelings around a specific area. There is coding, Python and so on. We all know that, that teachers are like the key things of how we feel. The first teachers of, um, of anything are going to have a big impact on how we're going to feel around a specific subject. And that's super important, I feel. And, uh, and so, yeah, just to yeah, say and, that. Uh, yep. And this is funny because uh, when I started uh, teaching at uni, uh, it was like the, you know, the way where like data science was the sexiest job in the century, in the planet, Every, everyone was uh, like, uh, oh, I want to to be data scientist. I don't know what it means, but I want to be data scientist <laughs> uh, and stuff like this. And my uh, my tagline when I each time I started the course was, so I'm a data engineer. I'm not a data scientist. So I, I will uh, show you stuff like uh, from the engineering um, viewpoint. And my goal is at the end of the course to convert someone 
that uh, you should not be like data scientist, but data engineer. <laughs> and mm. every time, I, I, yeah, I've had, I had people like, oh, now I want to be a data engineer, not a data scientist. I was like super happy. Like even if <laughs> only one person, like in a class out of 60 people, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like either way, if they say to go to the engineer or data science, like the concepts needs to be kind of aligned, kind of related, because in the end, data engineers will work with data scientist teams um, and uh, and understanding the use case of one role is very helpful to the other role to like follow best practices. And, and like you said, when you have in mind not only moving data from one point to another, but also like sharing this platform that users don't need you to do analytics or build their models. I feel that when you have this mission of the data engineer, then you care about the use cases. Uh, that could be interesting for maybe if you can share about um, um, the use case you were sharing before and the data science team, uh, like why wasn't it that much of a success and what would you change today? I think we can go back on that maybe. That sounds good. Do you want to comment something on this first? Yeah. Actually, yeah, I can, I can speak about like this um, data science, data engineering relationship. Um, so I guess it, it comes a bit of uh, people that were like going to data science journey and having uh, this uh, frustration where uh, for a long time, a lot of data science projects uh, were, weren't in production, and it was like super hard, like to put data science projects in productions. Mm. Um, and so, when when I arrived, like in, in the company, um, so I was like one of the first uh, data engineer, proper data engineer. Mm. But they, in the data science team, there were already I think five. So oh. when I arrived, it was like difficult for them because uh, they were already here and i arrived and i said no we should do this stuff this way uh, stuff should uh, go first through the platform we built and stuff like this so i, I tried to put like some rules and i th th there is something also i decided which was there should be no, no exception like um when we get data we get it this way uh, it goes through this pipeline we don't create like an exception pipeline that uh, flow the data in another pipeline like we have one way to enter the data it should go this way and that's all and there is no exception the reason was uh, because we don't want to have a mess of uh, pipelines everywhere like to do stuff and i guess those constraints uh, created like a friction with the data science team first uh, I should have been more flexible, maybe, and maybe they should have been like uh, they should have like a better understanding and accept like the stuff we were doing. Uh, that was for the company's sake and not for just for us, like to uh, yeah to <laughs> to enjoy. <laughs> um, that's one one of the thing, and I guess that. Uh, that's it actually it snowballed after because um because what we did was a success we we put it like the production the, the the stuff we were building in production it was working everyone was happy with it and they were like in the company from longer than me and they were still struggling to put stuff in production like the product team was not 
uh, asking them to put data science algorithm like in the product and stuff like this. And it was like super hard for, for them like to, 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 to go this way. And so it created like a rivalry between our teams other than like something where we were uh, working together. Mm. And like, and actually it was as well like in the, in the blog post or in the literature, like on the internet in 2018, 19, 20, mm -hmm. um, all the articles speaking about data engineering and data science were saying like, data engineering versus data science and comparing stuff like this like it was a battle either you go one way either you go the other way mm. uh, one has like is doing python the other one is doing air or uh, yeah you don't know but it was like more like a rivalry uh, rather than like uh, building a team with different skill sets and people doing uh, going the same way and stuff like that. Mm. i think it's like the roots of the the stuff that uh creating this um, failure, I would say, um, personally for me. Hmm. And do you have like lessons? I, I mean, you shared a few of them, but like if you were to redo it again, back in the days, what were what was the l limitations in terms of putting ML use cases in production? So today I assume that uh, it's not a problem at all. We have like with all the cloud providers, um, it's pretty easy to have an API running and you just make petitions mm. and the model is behind and it returns whatever you need. Um, Actually, the, what was the, the limitations? Yeah, I think that there are still two issues that are like relevant today. Mm. Um, the first one is you, you, you can be the best data scientist you can be. If the product team does not want to use uh, your algorithm or your prediction, Uh, you're going to be useless. Hmm. Um, and when you data science, it's first a matter of getting the use cases rather than getting your model ready. Like hmm. if the product team doesn't want to uh, put the, put an ML algorithm somewhere as a feature in, a, in your product, your data science team will never be like in the product. Uh, it's hmm. like, something like in the on the product side and when i say it on the product side it means that you have to have some front-end developers that will uh, develop the stuff needed for your algorithm mm -hmm. the back-end developers develop the apis needed to get the data and to fit it like in the in the model and stuff like this so there, there is like a whole product stuff around uh, putting AI in production uh, still today, still relevant today. You, you, you can do like stuff on the side, but if you want to be used by you, if you are an app, if you are a, si a website, a platform, I don't know, a marketplace, if you want to be used by the, the consumer of your product, you have to go through the product team at some point. Mm. And that's one of the first struggle. The second one is hire first data scientists I would say like hire data scientists before uh, data engineers because one of the reasons it was a failure for us, I guess, is because data scientists were there before and they had their habits and when someone arrived after, it changed everything. Um, it changed everything. Um, and I guess still relevant today, it's like you have to hire first data engineers that will first build the base of the hierarchy of needs of AI, I would say, like the extraction, the loading, 
creating all the analytics, creating all the reportings. For all the data scientists, not to be frustrated because they will do mainly reporting and analytics rather than data science. And so, yeah, if you want to go for data science, you first need, you maybe need first to have like clean data or at least like uh, you have to know your data uh, before hire data scientists. Okay. Hmm. What you really need to to hire at the beginning is someone that uh, kind of know software engineering, engineer, data engineer, uh, ML engineer, data science, and strong foundations on data analyst. And that's the perfect match. <laughs> oh, it? Uh, actually, it can be multiple people. Actually, you can hire like one data engineer, one data scientist, but it should be like they, they should have like a balance. You should not be like yeah. five data scientists and one data engineer because you're gonna have yeah. issues. Yeah, and it really also depends on the scale of the problem that you want to tackle. Uh, For sure. Uh, but that's super interesting. Well, speaking about teams, you have strong experiences managing uh, data engineer teams. Um, can you share a bit about your experience? So you share about teaching uh, in universities, uh, sharing on uh, like your journey of sharing content for free, high quality content. So how about managing teams? Do you see related skills in between your teaching and uh, your um, your managing skills? And like, what what can you share of insights with us in terms of what you learn through time managing teams and and achieving goals yeah. to projects? Okay, so um, th this is fun because uh, when I go back like to my first experience yeah. i i remember i was so I, I had in my life i always had issues with like authority uh so i was like a bit of uh, a bad kid uh professionally i would say not uh, personally like with my parents I, i think i was like okay i was just sleeping and eating when i was a kid but um i would say in my professional life i, I was a, a bad kid and I didn't like that much like the management requirements or people telling me what to do or stuff like this. I always thought that uh, I would be better with freedom. Uh, like if someone is trusting me and telling me, I want you to do this for this time and you are free to do it the way you want and stuff like this, I prefer it rather than someone telling me you have to do it like for end of the week you do it this way you do it this way and micromanaging me and stuff like this i didn't like it mm. and so in my first experience i was like yeah managers are useless uh i don't think we need managers in in teams uh <laughs> uh why do we spend money on managers uh, and stuff like this Uh, but to be honest, then I, I become a manager and I, I, I had good managers after and I was like, yeah, actually, it's kind of useful. Um, and this is fun to have changed this mind and to have been first like a bad kid and then uh, being a manager because mm. it helped me like realizing um, why uh, uh, and why and why you should try to be like a good manager. Mm -hmm. So um, a few advices. I, I don't think uh, this is the same uh, like uh, being a teacher at uni and a manager. I think it's like totally different skill sets uh, because teaching requires you to uh, 
um, there, there is communication in between, but mm -hmm. uh, teaching requires you to like understand the concept and teaching is something I would say technical uh, rather where um, being a manager is more like something on the human side, like understanding people, uh, trying to help them, trying to help them set the goals uh, and stuff like this, which is like a bit different that when you are a teacher where you like, you have a plan and you just follow, stick to the plan and stuff like this. Still, um, what I tried uh, as a manager is what worked for me uh, when then I I saw like good manager was, and when I understood what I needed was giving freedom to the people I was managing. Mm. Like uh, I always been a fan of we have stuff to do. If the stuff is done when we have to be when we, when we need it to be done, actually it's okay. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we can we can continue like this. And there is as well something I realized, which is and becoming freelance helped me realize it like deeper. But when I in my first experience, I was working I would say eight to seven something like this. If mm -hmm. I like simplify it, which is like a lot, I would say, uh, when you are, you are not like within the rule because in France you have to work uh, 35 or 37 hours, something like this. Mm -hmm. um, and to be honest, I, I learned a lot uh, working like 8 to eight, to 8 or 8 to 7, something like this. But it's like uh, tired me a lot. And when I left this first experience, this first job, I was like, Okay, now I, I, I should change something. Mm. On the second experience, I did not change anything, but I tried, but I, I was too into it. But on the third experience, I, re, I realized I was manager and I changed something. And every day I was uh, leaving, the, every day. I tried every day like to, to leave the company at six because I, I was believing it was healthier uh, and stuff like this. Um, and so... When, when you manage people and they see you uh, like live at six, when other team people like are living at seven, eight and stuff like this, it gives you the people in your team like more freedom. They are, they, they are becoming uh, like, yeah, I think it's empowering like to see your manager like living be, before you and saying you like, yeah, live whenever you want and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's one of the things. Um, but yeah, after this is like trying to create like relationship with people, trying to understand where they want to go um, and trying to be like as well a, a model or a leader like in, a, because I, I'm good technically, so I could also use my technical leadership uh, to uh, help uh, people growing. Um, so yeah. I don't know if I, these are good advices, but that's the stuff I'm thinking about right now. Mm, awesome. Yeah. I feel like a, a part of the role of, man of a manager is a kind of a load balancer, like this analogy of yeah. um, just making sure you're pushed to grow, to learn, but you don't get all the, like all the, all the questions, uh, 
mails, uh, everything that can come from a client, uh, other teams and so on. So it is kind of uh, your your load balancer and, and it makes sure not only that you receive uh, um, like, of course you receive more work than you can do at some points and so on. But uh, yeah, I feel like good managers can really reshape the way we see professional life, which is uh, which is awesome. And also, I think that bad managers can create, like like we said, with subjects in classes, uh, we can associate an emotion that is uh, incorrect. It is just based on how things are um, uh, at the moment or with those people, but uh, it is not necessarily like this everywhere. Uh, you said a lot of different interesting things. I'd like maybe just before we go into the, the, the last few questions and then the question from the previous guest and then you'll have to have a question about the next guest i just wanted to, to to come back briefly on the freelance journey do you have some insights um in terms of like how do you go about funding missions how hard it was what did you learn do you like it or not can you share a few things around that yeah so uh if we go back like to my uh professional path, uh, I started like becoming freelance uh, start of 2020 uh, when the COVID, when the COVID uh, was like at the peak mm. and um, it, it, so I, I got lucky to be honest, like uh, since I've started like becoming freelance, I always had a mission uh, every time, like I, I never was like uh, without a mission. Mm. Uh, the reason was um, maybe two or three things. The, 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 one of the things is like now I'm creating content, so I'm visible. So even if I'm not asking for missions, a few people still reached out to me and I, I help people through, through this way, like it generates leads. Mm. That's one of the things. But there, there is something I, I realized, which is like the maybe the the most powerful uh, insight is uh, you have to build a network, okay? But your network is not like uh, going to LinkedIn, creating like posts and having like uh, subscribers. Your network and the network that will vouch for you is your previous colleague actually. And everyone has worked like, except if you are like uh, uh, just graduated and i will not advise you to go freelance if you just graduated but uh, if you have worked like three four years actually your network is like your previous co-workers and actually your previous co-workers when you look at it a few might have changed companies and not in the company where you you, you have met them and then they know people they can vouch for you they can recommend you maybe you're previous manager or a previous manager from another team that uh, change a company or stuff like this. And actually your first network and your better network will be all your previous coworkers. And the reason, because it's the best network, it's because you have probably worked with them already and they can, they can vouch for you and say, yeah, when I worked with Christophe, he developed this and it was like good because this, 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 this. Uh, rather than like uh, growing numbers on LinkedIn where like people know you, but only through like uh, a LinkedIn page. Uh, so that's uh, one of the first thing to like start looking for missions. Uh, 
Um, after this, uh, th there is something very important, I guess, is like uh, have a clear offer, I would say, like try, try to understand what you can bring it to a company actually. Like on my side, I know that my core strengths or the, 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 the place I'm the best is in the problem solving topic. Like if you have an issue about data and real data engineering, uh, in any way, I would try to find a solution and we will find a solution and we build something like, mm. I don't care. Even if it's not Python, because like I'm comfortable with Python, but if the issue is like, uh, yeah, if I, if I like your mission, if I like your context and the issue is like in, I don't know which language, but I, I will try to find the solution. And I think I will, uh, we will succeed in the, in this mission. So. You, you have to identify your core strength and then build your uh, freelance offer around it to be clear when you sell it to people. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's how you find, I would say, like the, your first mission and how you like bootstrap like the, the journey. Hmm. Awesome. But once again, okay. I, I got lucky because I, I got fired. So I got like the unemployment pay, which helped me as well, like to to be stable and to have like a revenue, even if I uh, had no revenue, but actually I got revenue since day, uh, day one mm. um, and stuff like this. So, so and still we, we go back to, so I'm in tech, I'm white, I'm French. My name is Christophe. Yeah. So it helps me as well, like uh, going into the mass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even though you decided to take these actions and that is uh that is uh, worth what it is and uh it is yep. inspiring and and i'm sure that um that this path is to be considered by many people i really like this the stake on the take of a naval ravikant on this kind of topics where he said that uh, in the future um everything is going to be like a very small team working on like in a decentralized way kind of and uh and the other point that i really like about that relates to this is like accountability so i'm going to take accountability on solving problem with my teams right now in my companies and so on and today the person who is my manager in five years they might be director or they might be on this other company doing fun things and so and so then not only for them knowing how you work, but also for you knowing where you're going. Because if you know this person works like this, then you know where you're heading and if you want to work on this project or not, which is also very valuable. Yep. Awesome. So three last questions. The first one is going to be the where can we find you? So you have two podcasts, one blog. We're going to discuss about that. The second is like, do you have a message that you want us to go home with uh, from this episode or something else? And the third is, I'm going to ask you the question of the previous guest and maybe you can give us uh, a short answer. Uh, and afterward, you're going to share the, the question with us. So first one, uh, where can people find more about you? You have a blog and you have two podcasts. Can you share more about the different places? Yeah, so I have like a website uh, called uh, blef.fr, so B-L-E-F.fr, like French. Um, on, the, on the blog, you can subscribe to my newsletter. So I have a weekly newsletter in which I uh, curate every week uh, data engineering, data science, AI, uh, and analytics engineering articles. 
So the idea of this uh, weekly newsletter is to give people between 15 to 30 links where they can like uh, find uh, football source and stuff like this. And every time it's like fresh, it's like article from the previously previous week. And because I'm French, I'm trying like to decrypt this article, giving some sarcasm and stuff around, uh, like my whole ideas about it. So it's on my blog. You can subscribe for free. I already have like uh, 4,000 subscribers. Um, and I communicate on the side with, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Uh, you can find all the links on my, on my blog on blab.fr. And I have two podcasts, one in French, one in English. Um, but it's not yet regular as you. <laughs> uh, it's more like uh, in English, I, I have one episode. The idea of the podcast in English is like human of data. It's like just trying to learn more about people that are doing data, but not professionally, more personally who, who they are, why they uh, went the data way. And on, in French, it's more like having deep discussion with people, but more than one person. It's more like having like a round table with people and talking about data. So we have two episodes. The first one is about self-service and the second one um, was around um, orchestra and orchestration. Um, yeah. I have a few other, but they are not published yet. That's, yeah, for my content. Awesome. Amazing. All right. So uh, do you have a message that you want to people... Uh, uh, to go away with um, before we pass to the question of the previous guest. Um, do you have something that you want us to keep in mind, whether it is personal, professional, or something that we discuss in this episode or not? Yeah, okay. Uh, there, there, there is something I can share and I uh, already share, I guess, in the episode, which is around my vision of data engineering. I think that, I, and this is maybe like the only takeaway from the episode. Uh, I think data engineering is software engineers or software engineering, but apply in the data field. Uh, so what it means is that you should get inspiration from your software engineering peers within your company. You should comply to, the, to their standards. You should try to work with them more and stuff like this. I think like data engineering is very is still very new. Uh, having like role models in the in the software engineering uh, is like important, and trying to yeah get inspiration from the field there is like very important. I guess. Awesome! Amazing! Um, perfect. Let's switch to the question of the previous guest. So it is a question about AI bias and legislation. So. Somehow it is indirectly related to data engineering, but uh, let's see what's your stake at this question. What are you doing to support um, the reduction of data of, of AI biases and the the implementation of legislations? So <laughs> we're just starting with this concept. Do you have an answer to this question? Um, so Leon asked us uh, this question. Do you have something to share maybe like how do you make sure of um, AI biases and legislation from a data engineer perspective or like ethics how do you choose the projects you work on any answer that comes to mind okay so I have an easy answer for the 
AI bias part, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is I don't care because I don't write uh, any AI program actually. <laughs> But actually, I care because I, I think like uh, we should have unbiased uh, AI and stuff like this. But in right. my professional life, I don't write any AI uh, program that uh, take decision uh, that can be uh, biased or not. Like uh, my, my job is still like moving data from A to B. Uh, and if there is like a bias, like in the A source, obviously will be on the B source, on the B destination. But yeah, regarding bias, I cannot say a lot. But still regarding leg legislation, uh, like mainly from the GDPR, um, it has been a huge topic like in the data industry for years, but with the AI Act, it changed a lot. and. Not to change a lot, but people are more talking about AI Act now than the GDPR. But GDPR mm. is still here. And I think it's a good uh, directive. Um, I, I think like we should do more because when I look at a lot of companies, a lot of companies are not doing anything about GDPR or they mm. do stuff, but it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And the issue is that the it's, something that comes from law <laughs> and we are engineers and th th there is a gap between law and engineers and it's super difficult like to interpret correctly the the law uh, for uh, yeah for our engineering work but i think it's still important uh when when i try when when i can i i, I implement what needs to be done and i try to do it like cautiously Mm. But yeah, it's very, very difficult. Even if I look just at my content creation uh, stuff, like having GDPR process for everything can, can be super awful. Uh, so what I do is like, I do nothing. I just use like the tools uh, <laughs> as they are and try not to, uh, to do uh, the wrong stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is like, we discuss different gaps in this, in today's episode, but this is also definitely one, like how do we align with uh, regulations? How do we keep up to date with regulations? And this is very hard. Um, uh, this is complex because like there is no, like it is not often that we see a data scientist also being a data engineer. Um, we don't see um, some people who are very aware of the regulation being very good data engineers. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm saying it's not that common. So based on that, we need more collaborations, maybe a legal team and so on. But um, yeah, there are many if uh, in this equation that are not easy as of today. So I hope you like this question. Uh, now I'm going to ask you for the next guest, um, your question. So do you have a, a question for our next guest? Yes, I have a question. My question is, do you prefer Java or Python? And why is it Python? <laughs> okay. Okay. And if the person is, um, is a software engineer in C, for example, like, do you think we could... Okay, so, so that's... <laughs> Do you have a second question in case of uh, the guest answers being Python and we want to know more about it? Like, do you have something that comes to mind? Uh, yeah, it can be like, uh, what's your favorite library in Python? Or uh, what's like the, 
So, sometimes I, I go on GitHub and I, I read code from like great libraries uh, to get inspiration or just not great, but just uh, popular libraries. Mm. Like I, I read a lot of Airflow code and stuff like this mm. to get inspiration. Um, so yeah, what uh, would be like the your favorite library in Python? Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Amazing. Um, so Christophe, thanks again for coming on the show, for taking the time to share with us today. I had an amazing time for everyone who is listening. Thanks again for being until here in this episode. That means I really dedicated, super happy. If you feel like, feel free to subscribe to the channel as we're um, onboarding more and more experts to share their journey and learn from them. Uh, Christoph, I hope that you had a great time and I wish you to have an amazing day. Thanks again. Thanks so much for the invitation and have a good day. <laughs>